All right, we are going to do something strange with today's message, and I want to just acknowledge it right off the bat. We're actually going to finish Ephesians 4 today, but then next week, Grant is going to preach on the part that I didn't talk about last week, which is earlier in Ephesians 4. So I think we're all smart enough to be able to track with that, but we were kind of joking to ourselves, asking the Lord, okay, what, how do we want to handle the rest of Ephesians 4, do we want to go back to that this week or keep going? And we kind of joked about being a church that is built on the fivefold ministry, skipping over one of the two places in the Bible that talks about the fivefold ministry. We agreed to ourselves we'd probably never let us live that down. So we're not going to do that. So next week, you'll be hearing from Grant talking about the fivefold ministry. It's one of our favorite topics. We've had several messages in the life of the church on that. But come ready to hear it because I can promise you, you've probably never heard it taught in this way. Um, it's been revolutionary for us, and it's one of the foundations of our church. So a little plug for what's coming next week. But today we're going to finish the rest of chapter 4. And we wanted to do this today because we were sort of in a vein last week that continues into the text today. And it seemed weird to break that up. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation again today. And um, you can find that in your U version if you want to follow along on your phone. It's going to be on the screens as well. We're going to go a little bit line by line. And... Um, it's going to be good. I want to pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you that you are preparing our hearts to be more like you. And so, Lord, I ask that you help me speak exactly what's on your heart in Jesus' name. Last week, we started talking about sin, and we talked about the power of agreement, and, and essentially, how do you overcome sin in your life? And this week, I want to sort of start by helping you see, if you're not familiar with this, helping you see the two different camps of Christianity right now, in, at least in our nation. I'm not familiar with what's happening globally on this issue, but I can tell you what's happening in our nation, and it's, it's two camps. There's one camp that's, that we would call the very sin-conscious camp. Okay, so what this means is we're very focused. If this is the camp that you think in, it's very focused on sin. What is a sin? How do I stay out of sin? I need forgiveness for my sin. I don't want to sin. Very, very sin-focused, right? So a sin-conscious perspective. And then there's another camp in Christian world today of what we would call like the hyper-grace camp. So hyper meaning a little too far, okay? And so this camp would say where Paul says all things are permissible, and then we sort of forget to say the rest, which is not all things are beneficial. This camp would say, God's forgiven you. He paid for your future sin on the cross, which is true. And so therefore, you don't need to worry about it. So in, in our personal opinion, both of these are extreme. And somewhere in the middle is where Jesus falls, right? And so what we're going to be doing today is really talking about sin on a much... Um, more detailed perspective. And so, like I shared with you last week, I expect this to be convicting to you. It's convicting to me. So we got that all out in the open. Condemnation is not the same thing as conviction. Can I get an amen? amen. Right? So condemnation is when you feel really bad about yourself and you feel like you're doing something bad, right? It's that shame, guilt, I'm never going to get out of this kind of thing. Conviction is an empowering feeling where the Holy Spirit begins to show you this is not helpful for your life and I'm helping you out of it. Can you see the difference between those two things? So as I'm sharing today, if you start to feel the condemnation, catch those thoughts like Paul tells us in Romans, take them captive and don't let them affect you because that's not the way 
way God is. When you feel convicted, like, oh, I shouldn't do that anymore, that's a good thing, and it's the Holy Spirit empowering you to change. When you start to feel like, oh, I shouldn't do that anymore, and I hate myself, that's a bad thing, okay? Can we get those two differences? Those are some ground rules. But I feel like it's important to identify the difference of these two movements, the sin-conscious perspective and the hyper-grace perspective, because I don't know about you, but it's confusing. It's hard to know, as a believer, which one is right, right? Well, there's biblical context for both. And so what I want to do with today is help you see how to manage sin in your own life. So we're going to cover... In a moment, we're going to get into this in more detail, but I want to give you a framework as we approach these texts, because what I believe is that you have been given the ability to overcome sin, but it requires some application and participation on your part. Reinhard Bonnke puts it this way, if the blood of Jesus is like a bar of soap, it's useless to you unless you put it on your body. You're still going to have germs unless you apply soap right? We can wash our hands and hold the bar of soap right next to us and say all day long, well, this is taking care of my germs, but you have to put the soap on your body to make it work for you. And so there's a little bit of that in this where it's the application that's important. All right, enough ground rules. I'm going to back up to verse 19 because um, we, it has a nice flow. We talked about these two verses last week. <clears throat> Here we go. So verse 19, because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. I want to make a note that if you're someone who is aware of what's happening in our nation today and you're praying for that, what we should be praying is spiritual passion. Because right here, the Passion Translation is telling us it's spiritual apathy that's leading to these things right? And so we can say all day long if we're in the sin conscious camp, you're so wrong, this is so wrong, you shouldn't do this, this is wrong. But what we really could be doing on a much more effective strategic plan is saying, let me show you how to be on fire for Jesus, because when passion for God is in your heart, conviction, which leads to help and leads to breakthrough, starts to do its work, right? All right, so verse 20, but this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. If you, I love this verse so much, if you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. Amen, right? If you need to see some working of Jesus in your life, this is your prayer. God, I want to experience you. Because if we've experienced Jesus, it will be seen in our life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. And he, Jesus, has taught us to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful deceit and desires that spring from delusions. All right, we're going to camp there for a second. I love the word delusions. I will tell you a secret about myself that's not so positive, but I love to use delusions when I'm frustrated. Grant can attest on multiple times if I'm venting, okay? I try, I'm trying, I'm trying really hard. I'm an external processor. It's really hard for us to filter our venting. But every once in a while, I will use this word. I love this word because there's so many of us who are so delusional, right? We believe, what is delusional? We believe a reality that's not true. There's no basis for it. That's what delusions is. And I love that it's right here in this verse. And here's what it says. Our sinful, our old man lifestyle, okay, you were saved, if you have been saved, when you were saved, you believed with your heart, you confessed with your mouth, you were saved in that moment. We talked about this when we covered chapter one. The Holy Spirit saw your salvation, did all the work it was supposed to do. He sealed you in that moment, and then you were born again. And then your old self is now what? It's dead. 
right? We're not going to try to weekend at Bernie's, our old self. We're not going to try to carry a corpse around and try to feed it food and say, we need to help you out. That's weird, right? When you die, you go into the grave because it's, it's not healthy to have corpses lying around places. It's not healthy for Christians to be walking around trying to dress up our corpse self. This is one of the challenges of being so sin conscious is that this is what we're trying to do. We're putting makeup on the dead part of ourselves, trying to pretend like it's redeemable, but God himself declared that was not redeemable. I've given you a new man. Let's focus on the new man, right? All right, so your old self, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusion. So James talks about the birthplace of sin. I believe it's in James as well. But this is where sin starts. We have a misperception of reality. There's a distorting there that causes us to take action. Are you tracking with me? <clears throat> Little, it's not a rabbit trail because it's intentional, but deviation, I guess. I'm not sure what the word is. A couple months ago, I was talking to the Lord about the Garden of Eden, and I was sort of marveling, and it goes with this theme of purity and whatnot, and I was marveling at the fact that God intended the world for everybody to be naked. This is just a little bit TMI, sorry, but I was sitting there thinking, but so that must mean, Lord, that it is possible for the human person to be able to see someone that's naked that does not lead to lustful thinking, because the original plan was that everybody was naked. Just some food for thought for you. You can flush this out over lunch. You're welcome. <laughs> but so that was the original plan. And, and then as I was talking with the Lord about, you know, his plan for when sin happened, his plan was to clothe people, and that was his mercy and his kindness. And we thank the Lord for that. We thank you, God, for clothes. We love clothes. And, and then I realized something. When Eve took the apple and ate it, and when Adam took the apple and ate it, that act, which was, some would say, the most powerful act in the history of the world was not a demonic act. It was an act of the flesh. So therefore, our flesh has tremendous power. Your flesh has the power to affect eternity forever. If it was demonic, now we know it was demonically inspired because Satan himself was twisting. He was creating a delusion for Eve. He was creating a twisted mentality that caused her to want to be like God. See, Eve's heart was actually good. She was not trying to be deceitful, right? Adam, I don't believe, was trying to be deceitful. They thought if they could be like God, they would be pleasing to God. But that was a delusion. It's not what God had defined reality as. And so when they ate that apple, that act was of the flesh. It was of our own willpower. It was not a demonic action. Put it this way, like demonic possession that causes someone to do something involuntary. If it was a demonic expression, then the blame would go on the enemy. But where did the blame go to? Mankind. Now we have an issue with sin that has to be dealt with. Okay. Getting a little abstract for you. You can process that later. But it's important to understand because delusion or distortion is one of the places that the enemy comes at you the most. It is his plan. Here's what it looks like on a very practical basis. I heard I shouldn't do this, but for me, it's not that big of a deal. How about this one? Well, I know this caused that person to sin, but I'm stronger than that. Right? If the Bible tells us something that's sin, is it sin for only a few? 
this is a clue what's happening to my head. No, it's for all of us, right? And so what I'm about to say, it's important because what Paul is helping us understand is in the place of our delusion, it matters that we catch and identify what is delusional, okay? It matters that we identify where the manipulation of our minds are happening. Let's keep going. You got your seatbelts on. We can do this. All right, verse um, 24. No, verse 23. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's given to you. I love this. Paul's like, here's what's happening with sin. Now it's time to just accept the revelation. Jesus has given you a new man. Let's move forward. Verse 24. And to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life in union and live in union with him. Everybody say Christ within. within. One more time. Christ Christ within. All right. So you have been made one with Jesus. This is so important because in every temptation that you face, there is a moment where you can embrace Christ within you. It is actually possible. Let's take it a little bit farther. For God has recreated you, again, this new man. He's recreated you all over again from his perfect righteousness, and now you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. So in chapter one, we talked about how you've been locked in the place with God. You guys remember that message? How you've been locked up in the place with all the spiritual blessings. Now you've also, now we understand, you've also been locked up where all the true holiness is. So if you are somebody that struggles to be holy, here's what I mean by that. There's like darkness inside of you, like lying. There's all kinds of darkness. It's not, it's not always, you know, temptation comes in all different types of forms right? But if you're struggling with that and you're going, Lord, I need your help, this is a key for you, that you start going, Lord, I have been positioned where all of true holiness is. What I need to do now is not try to shame myself, but embrace the Christ within and rise up in my new man, which has power over the temptations of the flesh, okay? 25, so discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as one who always speaks the truth, for we all belong to one another. An interesting thing is about to happen where Paul is going to say, if you did this, now you do this. I don't know if you're familiar with this concept, but there's a concept out there that, that's called responding in the opposite spirit. Anybody familiar with that? When something is coming at you, you respond in the opposite spirit. When your finances are being attacked or something unexpected happens, we respond in the opposite spirit. Our tendency is to hoard, but we begin to give. Even if it's meager giving, we begin to give. If somebody's coming at you to curse you or slander you, we respond in the opposite spirit by blessing them. In case you're feeling like that's really hard, I would remind you that the Bible says when you bless your enemy, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. Not my words, the words of the Bible. Sometimes when we respond in the opposite spirit, it's a choice. It's hard. We don't want to. But this is what Paul is saying. If you were lying, now you're going to be known as someone who always speaks the truth. There's an opposite action here. Verse 26. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not even for a day. It's a hard one. Yeah, it's a hard one. Let me read it again. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Who here has seen Inside Out? If you have not seen Inside Out, this is your assignment, your Sunday night assignment. It's probably on Netflix or somewhere. It's a Disney movie about all these emotions. Actually, according to brain scientists, it's fairly accurate in the way these emotions interact with the personality of the person that they're in. It's amazing, but here's what I want you to understand. It is possible to feel things 
and not act on them. Everybody go, what? That's possible? Several times this scripture in Psalm 145 is echoed where it talks about being slow to anger, being quick to forgive, being, being quick to listen, right? It is possible to be angry and not lash out. I'm still learning this in my own life, but I will have moments where I will feel anger and I will think to myself, shut your mouth, friend. Keep it closed. Slow yourself down. Because if you're a verbal processor person, you know sometimes it's happening at the speed of thought and you're like, put it back in there. I'm so sorry. But once it's said, it can't be unsaid, right? But there is a reality here where in your anger, other translations say, in your anger, do not sin. Did you know that Jesus was angry? Often, actually, if you read the New Testament, you can read the Gospels, you can see these moments where he's like, are you kidding me? You know, he's frustrated with his followers, he's disappointed in them. But Jesus demonstrated for us how to feel an emotion and not respond out of that emotion. It doesn't matter what the emotion is, it does not have to have power over you. Loneliness, rejection, anger, lust. We could go through all the emotions. It doesn't have to have power over you. In fact, I would take it a step further to say when it has power over you, there's something in your thinking that has agreed with that that needs to be undone. Because Paul is telling us, the Bible is telling us, when your emotions are charging you, don't let them lead you to sin. Don't let your anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not even for a day. And I just want to make one last note about this. Our emotions have been given to us as indicators. In fact, God gave you emotions on purpose. When we suppress emotions, it's actually unhealthy for you. I had a friend years ago who her mother was a twin, and the twin um, passed away from cancer, and it was a really sad situation. Everybody was believing for her healing, one of those just devastating heartbreak situations where she, didn't, she did not receive her healing on this earth. And my friend took it very hard. I mean, this is like, imagine if your mother is a twin, you know, identical twin. It, it feels like your own mother in some ways. And we went on a mission trip shortly after that. And um, in the middle of the night, my friend, her roommates on the trip would hear her sobbing while she was asleep. She's totally dead asleep, and her body is sobbing emotion. And what we began to realize through counseling and whatnot was that what was happening in her is that she was suppressing the grief so low because she didn't want to face it in real life. But her body had to release those emotions so while she was asleep, it was doing what it needs to do. Emotions are indicators. They are gifts to you. Even negative emotions are gifts to you. When you feel joy and peace, it's an indicator that things are going well, right? When you feel happiness, when somebody walks in the room and you're happy to see them, that's an indicator that things are going well. When, when you have anger, frustration, jealousy, you name the negative emotion, it's also an indicator. It's an indicator that there's something in there that needs to be dealt with, right? And so I want to say to you, I want to say to you, don't look at this and say, I don't need emotion, that I'm going to not let my emotion lead me to sin, so I'm just going to get rid of them all. No, no, no. It's that when you feel the emotion, you dig a little bit deeper and you say, why is this here? If you're married, you know there's times where you get into places of tension. That's an indicator that something needs to be talked through. Don't dismiss that. Let it be talked through. 
All right, verse 27. Don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. Has anybody ever been, like, maliciously manipulated? You don't have to raise your hand. I've been, I want to say maybe three times in my life where somebody has created a set of circumstances through true manipulation to hurt me. It's not a pleasant feeling, right? If you've ever had that happen to you, I wouldn't wish that on anybody because it makes you kind of question everything. I want to say to you what Paul is saying to you, which is don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you, but this is his game. Let's go back to the delusions. This is how he works. He twists, he distorts, he changes what's true so that he can manipulate you to get you to step out of who you are in Jesus. Let's not do that. That's so simple, Paul. Thank you. (laughs) I want to say for a second, I think I mentioned this last week, but when we get to chapter six, we're going to talk a lot about spiritual warfare, and I don't want to get into all of that right now, but I do want to tell you what's sort of our official stance of spiritual warfare here at Bethel, and it's this, that we believe that the enemy is real. We believe he has a measure of power, but we really believe the most of his power is what we give to him. When David was in the cave being chased by Saul and all of his men, God gave him a way out, right? There are seasons of life where we are being bombarded by attacks from the enemy, and some of us have a mentality of like, I always have to fight. I always have to go after every single demonic thing that's coming against me, but I would say to you that sometimes when we just trust the Lord and we say, God, how do you want me to navigate this? He won't even deal with what's going on with the enemy. He will give you a strategy to navigate through it where you are unharmed and unhindered. And that's sort of where we take this. We say, Lord, we believe the enemy's real. We know he's doing this. He's trying to manipulate. He's trying to create delusions. But I know that you're bigger. And I know that you cannot be stopped, God. I know your work in my life cannot be stopped. There is no force on earth, in heaven, in the heavens, in, in the universe, whatever is your biggest term you can come up with. There is no force that can stop the work of God in your life. The only force that can stop it is you. It's your will. It's your choice. This is hard. I get that. But I want to say to you that when you feel, and I know for some of us, we've gone through seasons, and you're maybe in one right now, where it feels like the enemy's coming at you from every angle. One of the best things you can do is disempower him by not giving him a say. Right? By looking at the Lord and saying, Jesus, this thing over here is saying all this. What do you want to do? Do you want me to fight? Do you want me to hide? Sometimes we feel like hiding is cowardice, but hiding is exactly the strategy that God gave David that led him to be the king. I would submit to you that maybe if he had stepped out to fight on his own, he may have not made it to his destiny. But God knows the plan, and when we trust the Lord, it comes to pass. So do not give the devil an opportunity to manipulate you. One of the best ways you can do that is, like I said a minute ago, call it what it is. When the delusion starts to set in, give it a name. trying to decide how how much farther I want to go with that. Let's leave it at that. Verse 28, if anyone has, if any one of you has stolen from someone else, never do it again. Instead, here we have the opposite spirit theme going on. Instead, be industrious, earning an honest living, and then you'll have enough to bless those in need. And never let an ugly or hateful words come out of your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. The Holy Spirit has sealed you in Jesus until the experience, till you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted his holy influence in your life. 
We talked about this last week about protecting that communion with Holy Spirit, that he's moving in you, he's guiding you, and it's important to let him do that. And then verse 31, lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults, but instead be kind and affectionate toward one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. Okay, Paul, that's simple. We can do all of those things today, no problem. <laughs> it's like, well, this will take me the rest of my lifetime to get these at work in my life. But this is what I think is so beautiful about this, is that Paul wants us to understand what it looks like to be a victorious believer. He wants us to understand what it looks like to be walking in our new man, to not be sin conscious, but to also be recognizing that sin is sort of around every turn. Do you guys see that balance? Here's the thing about the kingdom of God. If you're creating a theology that does not require daily interaction with God, your theology is not going to last. Because all of this, from the beginning of time till the very end, is about relationship with God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That is what it's all about. And so what we do, especially in Oklahoma, we're so good at this, is we want to find formulas, we want to find rhythms, we want to find like tried and true things. We want to go, oh, so if the enemy's coming at me, then I attack. That's what I do every time, and I can find security in that. Oh, so I, right, we want to have these formulas, but what God is saying is, listen, it's about you and me, and I don't like formulas so much. I like you to find me predictable. I like you to find that I'm you know, consistent in your life, but I don't want, to, want you to rely so much on the pattern that you don't need me. You tracking with me? All of this is about relationships. So I know that for some of us, especially for myself, there's things in this that you're going, wow, this is really convicting. I would encourage you, don't just gloss over that. Look at it. Okay, Lord, how can I attack this in my life? What do you want me to do to get rid of this? How can I overcome this thing? And especially for those of you that are in a house with other people, you gotta bring it to the people. Right? If you're trying to work on something, but you don't tell them what you're working on, when the temptation comes to not do that, it gets really messy. So here's what it looks like for me when God's leading me to something. I will have to say, this is what I'm trying to do better at. This is what I'm, the Lord is putting his finger on. I don't want to respond like this. So when these situations come up, if I start to respond like this, will you call that out? Because I don't want that to be a thing. My daughter is so good at this, and she's eight it's so embarrassing, right? If I say to my kids, listen, guys, I, I feel like I've been short with you. I want to be filled with grace with you. She's like, all right. And the next thing that comes out of my mouth that has the slightest tone, she just looks at me like, mm-hmm. It's like, gosh, man, are you trying to be the Holy Spirit in my life? You know, it cracks me up, but she holds me to this fire, and I love that about her because it actually makes me a better person. So the people that are in your family, we should be the biggest champion of our family members, right? That's what it should be like. So be honest with them. Hey, this is really resonating in me. And let me, let's, let's take it um, into like verse 24. Okay, so I've been locked into the realm of true holiness. So when something's going on in my life that's not true holiness, then I, I need you to help me hold that standard, right? If I want to lean this way, then you got to go, hey, remember you're locked in that place of true holiness. I'm praying for you that you would embrace the Christ within. Are you guys seeing the pattern that God is putting out here, the way that we bring him into our life? You guys tracking with me on that? No? I guess we'll start over, so uh, <laughs> just kidding. All right, so I want to say one final thing about forgiveness as we get into this last verse. But instead, be kind, verse 32, and affectionate toward one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. 
I want to make a note about forgiveness because I know from firsthand experience that forgiveness is actually really hard. The people you really need to forgive are the hardest to forgive, right? Um, you know, it's easy to forgive the ones that didn't hurt you that bad, and then we're like, I'm doing good, Lord, high five Jesus, you know, I'm forgiven just like you, and then it's the one that really wronged you or manipulated you or whatnot, and you're like, wow, I have to forgive them too. And we have that moment with Peter where he says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? I'm like doing this all day long, and Jesus says, 70 times 7. What most of us don't understand is that there was a, a character in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Genesis, named Lamech. L-A-M-E-C-H, if you want to look this up. And Lamech was notorious for revenge. And he, there was a song about him that said Lamech would give revenge 70 times 7. He was known for being vengeful. That was his whole thing. So what Jesus was actually saying to Peter was not necessarily a mathematical formula about what's the key to forgiveness. He was actually saying, in the same way that Lamech was known for vengeance, you be known for forgiveness. Here's how we do that, by graciously understanding. Let me put it this way. In verse 32 where he says, has God graciously forgiven you? Here's how we do that. Lord, you've graciously forgiven me. There were things I did that were so offensive to you, and yet you forgave me. So give me the strength, the power to forgive somebody else. And I want to give you a key and a tool here as we end. And um, this is something, I don't even remember where we learned this. It's been several years that Grant actually learned this first. And it's a key to help you forgive the really hard people that are really hard to forgive. Um, and, you know, some of us need to forgive ourselves, and that might be the hardest person for you to forgive of, like, why did I do that? You need to forgive yourself as well. But for the people that are really hard, it's, it's this tool. It's asking the Lord to give you their pers his perspective on why that person did what they did. It's not excusing them of their behavior. It's actually not taking them off the hook at all. But it's, it's getting into God's perspective. How could you forgive them? Because this was so hurtful to me. And the Lord will show you, well, here's what was really rooting and motivating their action. In other words, here's the delusion they were buying into when they did that. Yeah, it was wrong. Yeah, it messed you up. Yeah, it's a problem. But here's how I can forgive them because I can see what they were really believing. Does that make sense? So it's a simple tool, and I've used this so many times. It's actually was the first thing that actually helped me forgive some of the most difficult people in my life. And so it's just this. It's taking that person to the Lord and saying, Lord, I know I need to forgive so-and-so, and I'm asking you right now to show me what your perspective about them is. And then he will. Just close your heart, close your eyes, open your heart. <laughs> and ask him to speak to you, and he will. He'll show you something. For, for one person in particular, what he showed me was how difficult this person's life is. Now, I'm not going to pity them. That's not really what it's about, right? It was still very hurtful, the action they gave. But I can see how, from God's perspective, there's a little person inside of that adult that did something really wrong right? And so I can forgive that person for not knowing Jesus, for not knowing how to make a better choice for whatever. That's what I'm forgiving them from. In fact, I'm forgiving them from agreeing with what the enemy wanted to do in my life instead of what God wanted to do in my life. And from that perspective, you can actually find forgiveness. It doesn't mean you forget about what they did. It doesn't mean that you let them back into your life if they've really harmed you. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying in your heart, you can look and you can say, all right, Lord, I can extend forgiveness in that place because you've graciously forgiven me. So I want to pray for us because here's what I know to be true about these verses. We don't get to pick and choose what we adhere to in the Bible, you know. We're, most of us, anyway, are fairly charismatic people. We don't get to pick and choose the verses about praise and exaltation and breakthrough and 
you know, God's promises and then overlook this kind of stuff. They go hand in hand. But it's hard, but it's worth it. So I, I said this to you guys last week. I want to say it again. If you haven't read through Ephesians 4 on your own, I would highly encourage you to read through it on your own. It takes about five minutes to read through the whole chapter, maybe. And just ask the Holy Spirit. You know, you can do it in your car right before you pull out to go to work tomorrow morning and just say, God, I'm sitting here with you. Would you highlight one thing that you want to do in my life? Would you show me how to embrace you inside of me? Would you show me, right? Just ask him. Have a conversation with him. I want to be more like you, and I don't want these things to be present in my life. So let's pray. Um, we're not going to do any kind of like big ministry time or anything because I really feel like this is more an invitation to you carving out time with the Lord. And if you, if you do that, he will meet you. All right. Lord, we just thank you. I thank you for your leadership in our life. And Lord, I thank you that even when we're talking about hard things and, and painful things and corrective things, Lord, I ask for your grace to be extended to us, and I, I pray, Lord, that there would be no condemnation present in any one of our lives. I pray, Lord, that the conviction, the true conviction of the Holy Spirit would rise up and empower us to embrace the Christ within, so that as we become more like you, Lord, that we would truly be victorious in every battle that's in front of us. Lord, I release your blessing over every person here. God, I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. And Lord, I pray that this week would be an amazing week of engaging with you, encountering your presence, and being filled with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to thank you guys for being here. I want to encourage you to be here next week on Sunday morning and join us Sunday night for the October extravaganza.